Hello and welcome to another episode of the Long Relief Podcast. Austin Dakota and Barrett Hodgson here with you once again. This time it's episode seven. We're focusing today on American League free agency. Barrett, it's been a little bit since we've recorded a podcast, but we're through the holiday season. Everyone's healthy again and we're ready to talk about uh, the Red Sox amongst other teams that have had a little bit of a disappointing offseason, but we'll jump into it in a minute. Yeah, and We'll really break down these teams in the AL and talk about these signings. And I know we're in the middle of a lockout, and hopefully that ends soon. But we'll still try to get some content out, and we think this is going to be a good one. Yeah, so we'll start off with the first team in the directory alphabetically for the American League, which is the Baltimore Orioles, a team that is coming off of a 52-110 and 110, uh, record. Uh, not exactly uh, appealing to look at. Uh, fifth in the American League East, one of the worst teams in the league. Um, and a team, though, that did have a couple of bright spots. Cedric Mullins had a sensational year, kind of coming out of nowhere, 30 home runs on the year, a batted 291, a guy that they might be able to build around a little bit. And they're going to try to do that by signing Jordan Lyles and Rugnet Odor, I guess. Yeah, and I don't know. Lyles is probably just an innings logger guy. They'll probably look to trade him at the deadline if he has any sort of success, kind of like Matt Harvey was for him last mm-hmm. year. Probably a little bit of an upgrade. Uh, Rugned, he'll probably be an everyday player in the lineup. And he had a couple good seasons with the Rangers. Maybe they're hoping to reincarnate his career and maybe he can get his average up to around 250 and hit 30 homers. But nothing too exciting out of Baltimore. We'll see what they do once the lockout ends. I can see them adding a couple more veteran pieces. You mentioned with Rugned, he's had some success in the past. And I think what the Yankees did was they went and acquired him because he's a solid left-handed bat. Uh, against certain matchups. So I think the Orioles might be able to get something for him at the deadline in a team looking for a left-handed bat down the stretch. Yeah, and I agree. And the thing that I was looking for like a team like the Orioles to do is kind of mimic what the Cubs are doing. Like the Cubs took a bunch of chances on these guys who are young and had a little success in the league. We just haven't seen Baltimore really do that. So this is this Odor sign is kind of the first kind of guy like that for him. Yeah, so we'll see what they do the rest of the way. Not a lot of other news coming out of Baltimore, but – Next up is, uh, funny enough, our hometown team, the Boston Red Sox, a team that has made a couple of moves before the lockout. Um, They brought back Rich Hill, a one-year contract there. I guess we'll start with the pitchers, Barrett, that they brought in. Rich Hill, James Paxton, and Michael Waka, all in one-year deals. Uh, They all can't be in the rotation, I don't think, with Evaldi, Sale, uh, amongst others, probably Pavetta going to be in there, maybe Tanner Houck. How do you see this all shaping out with the guys they've added? I think Rich Hill will definitely be in the rotation. Uh, Paxton's supposed to be out a majority of the season. They signed him out of one year and then like a two-year like club option kind of thing. So if he has a good season, they can pick up his option and he'll be here for two more years. Mm-hmm. So I kind of like the Paxton signing for him to just rehab all year. And if he has any success, you have a solid start of the following season. I hate the Michael Walker signing. Like completely hate it. Um, he had a strong ending to the season as a reliever, but I think the Red Sox kind of want him to use to eat innings because they lost Eduardo Rodriguez and there's a lot of unsure pieces in that rotation. So you'll definitely see Sale, Evaldi, Hill, I think, Pavetta. And then that last spot will probably be between Waka and Hauk. And it's just going to kind of come down to who, which guy they'd rather have in the bullpen, in my opinion. Yeah, and the Waka signing, as you mentioned, I, I agree it's a really bad deal. I mean, it's one year, so it's not as much risk, but it just screams Garrett Richards. It shows kind of the organization yeah. didn't believe in any of the top-line starters, which is fine. I don't think I would have liked Kevin Gosman at five years, 100-plus million, but 
I think there would have been another direction. I think maybe you could have thrown three years at Steven Matz for a little bit more money. Um, maybe I just don't, I don't know. I'm not a big fan of the Waka deal. It just kind of screams Garrett Richards again. He's mediocre. He's going to be mediocre again. And no matter which way your analytics point you, it doesn't point you to a stable rotation piece. Yeah. And he's just, it's one of the biggest contracts he's ever gotten in his whole career, which is the right. crazy part. And he's coming off an awful season with the Rays. So I know, but he was with the Rays and Heimblum and his connections to them. So maybe he saw something. He thinks he could fix them like he did Pavetta, but we'll see. I actually kind of like the Rich Hill signing. Uh, a guy who's just going to eat a bunch of innings if he can stay healthy. Mm-hmm. And he'll, he'll keep runs off the board. So I don't mind the Hill signing. I know he's really old, but it's just kind of a stopgap guy, I think. And then, like I said, the Paxton, I think, really low risk. I think it's solid, too, because you're not forcing – Garrett Whitlock or Hulk into the rotation yet, even if they're not ready. I mean, you're letting them have that success, just kind of setting them up to be okay in the bullpen again. And then if things don't go well with one of these guys, you know, the veterans, if they're struggling, then you move them into the rotation. But I think you're in a a pretty good spot with those two now. Yeah. And then besides the pitchers, they made that trade, the Hunter Renfro trade, and they brought back uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. and two prospects. What's your thoughts on that one? Well, I like the prospect return for it. I think anytime you can get a couple of young guys to a farm system that is still rebuilding in a lot of ways is always a plus, but I don't know. I don't, I don't understand the Jackie Bradley piece to it. I don't think he fits the team. I don't think he does anything better than what you have currently. I mean, yes, he's obviously a stud defender, but if he's going to hit under 200, can you even play him? I don't really mind him as a fourth outfielder, but his contract's kind of large to be a fourth outfielder. Right. So it really depends if they care about going over the luxury tax and whatnot. Because I would, I'd love Jackie Bradley Jr. to be the fourth defender and comes in the game in the ninth inning as a defensive replacement. I'd like a guy like that, but I just don't know if they're willing to do that with their salary situation. So hopefully they're willing to spend some money. I wouldn't mind keeping him around and then going to sign, re-sign a Schwarber or try to get the Suzuki guy, but I didn't really love the trade in terms of major league swap, but I really like the prospects they got back. So I thought it was decent for both sides. Yeah. I think the two prospects too, they seem like guys that you could see playing at the majors one day. They don't just seem like throwaway prospects. Yeah. The Benellas guy, he can, he can hit. And he had, he had really good years at Louisville and he had a decent season last year in the Brewers organization. So I think he'll be a piece that you'll definitely see in the majors one day. So that's pretty much all the Sox news. We had the three pitchers that we mentioned. We saw a couple of guys resign. They added a handful of players to minor league deals, which include Christian Stewart, Rob Refsnyder, and Tim Locastro. Uh, not sure we'll see any of them uh, at the majors at any point, but you never know with Boston. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think we'll be seeing much of them, honestly, but. Who knows? Well, the next team that we're going to move on to is a team that has been pushing the kind of, I guess, pushing the line in towards contention. They've been a playoff team, the White Sox. They just haven't been able to get over the hump. Uh, They made some headlines. The big one so far was Kendall Graveman, who many consider the top middle reliever, uh, a couple innings in the middle of the ball game when you're winning kind of guy. Uh, I guess he's, he's not necessarily a holds guy which I guess that's the role Houston used him in, but like he can pitch multiple innings if you need him to. Uh, coming off a sensational season, uh, Graveman inks a big deal three years with the White Sox. How do you feel about that signing? It's a decent amount of years for a reliever. 
I like Graveman a lot as a player. I just think it's an interesting fit because the White Sox have Kimbrell. They have Hendricks. And I just don't know if they're going to use – like I'm assuming Graveman's going to take over the role that Kimbrell had to end the year because Kimbrell struggled. Maybe they'll be trying to move off of Kimbrell. I'm not really too sure what their plan is there, but I like Graveman as a player. I think him and Hendricks is a really tough eighth, ninth inning guy. And like you said, Graveman can go multiple innings. So oh, he can be more, even more of a weapon. A former so I, pitcher too. So he's got the longevity and the stamina if you need him to. Yeah. And I, he was a stud last year. There's no debate around that. He pitched really well in Seattle. And then when they moved him around the deadline, he pitched really well in Houston and you saw him against the Red Sox lock some really important long relief innings where he pitched more than one inning. And the other move that they've made to this point, not to bolster the bullpen, but to help with some depth, Lurie Garcia is re-signed to a three-year deal. He's kind of a Brock Holt type player for them um, who's played pretty well. And I think every team has a role player like that. Every championship team at least has a role player kind of guy who can do multiple things well. And Garcia has kind of found a home in uh, Chicago the last couple of years. Yeah, he'll probably play a lot of second base for him, switch hitter. Uh, I was interested to see that they gave him so much money, five and a half mil over three years. So, But I like Lurie Garcia as a player because of his ability to play almost anywhere. So I think that he's a solid piece to add. I like the moves that the White Sox have made so far. we got some work to do, but they're definitely ahead of the next team on the list, which is the Cleveland Guardians, a uh, team who is, I guess, rebuilding, but they were 80 and 82, not the worst. Uh, <laughs> that they've had, but definitely, you know, not in contention anymore. We're looking at this roster, Barrett. Uh, they haven't done really much. They've signed a couple of guys to minor league deals, including Sandy Leone. Uh, they outrighted Alex Young, Justin Garcia. They brought in Eniel De Los Santos to a minor league deal. But that's really it. Uh, Yasiel Puig signed with to play in Korea, uh, former guardian in Puig, but not really much else going on with the Guardians. How do you really feel about this team? Yeah, I think this is a team that just kind of needs to blow it all up. But I understand because they were 80 and 82. They were kind of right there. They'll always have a good pitching staff. It seems like they just breed pitchers in Cleveland. But I just – their lineup, I just hate it. Like, it's just it's just Jose Ramirez, really. Right. I mean, I like I like Ahmed Rosario. But I just don't think these are, like, really building block guys that they have in their lineup. Um, so I'd kind of like to see them retool that area of their team. Like they lost Roberto Perez, who's been a catcher there for a long time. So I don't know. I don't, I hate their offense. I love their pitching. So I kind of think they're going to be around that 500 mark if they don't do something. Yeah. They're going to surprise some people. I think this year, some people might expect them to be in the bottom of the division, but I think middle of the division, 80 to 85 wins is accurate because look at the pitching staff, Shane Bieber, just 26 years old. I mean, he's been sensational the last couple of years. Aaron Savale has been a decent middle of the rotation guy. 12 and 5 last year at 3.84 ERA. You have Zach Plesak, who's been pretty solid the last couple of years, too, coming off a 10 and 6 season. 4.6 ERA, a little high, but I think he will have a pretty much, will have a, have a better year, similar to the year that we just saw Savale have, you know, a three and a half ERA or a little bit higher. Uh, Cal Quantrill's been good since going over there, 8 and 3, a 2.89 ERA. Um, and then obviously, Emmanuel Class A on the back of that bullpen is huge to have a young guy like that who can come in and lock down games for you four and five on 1.29 and 74 strikeouts, just 23 years old. So the rotation, the back of the bullpen's good, but like you said, this offense is a team that might struggle to score runs. 
Yeah, it, you didn't even mention Tristan McKenzie and Karen Chak, who had bad years right. last year. They, like, they could have a dominant pitching staff as a whole. And just the bat, they need to make a move for a few more bats that I think are just major league talent. I think they have a lot of guys in their lineup who probably should be in the minors, like a Bobby Bradley type of guy. I don't mind him getting some at-bats, but he's not an everyday guy, in my opinion. So, I don't know. I think they really need to go get some outfielders and maybe a couple more big power guys in the middle of their lineup because that pitching staff, they can win games two to one, but they need to be able to score the two runs. Yeah, that's the problem. I mean, Ramirez, now now I have a question for you, Barrett. Do you trade Jose Ramirez now? Because he's the only piece we've kind of talked about. I mean, Fran Reyes is okay, but do you try to get something for Jose Ramirez at this point? He's 29 years old, hit 266 with 36 homers last year, drove in over 100. Is now the time to try to capitalize and maybe move him? Well, now is probably when you're going to get your biggest return. So if you're thinking about treating this guy at all, then they should definitely do it. But if they want, I can completely understand if they want to sign him to a long-term deal and make him the centerpiece of the offense because he's such a great player. But if they're not willing to commit to him, which they haven't been so far, then they should move him and they should get some more comparable MLB talent along with some good prospects in their system. Well, they'll have an interesting decision to make. They made the decision to move on from Francisco Lindor in a trade that has struggled to net really any success, I guess, for the Indians. I mean, they haven't really got a whole lot out of Rosario, who I still think has some potential to be solid in this league. He hit 282 last year, but they are looking for more to replace a guy like Francisco Lindor. So we'll see what direction the Guardians go in their first season as the Guardians. Uh, Next up on the list is the Detroit Tigers, a team that I – really like to make a run this year in that division. Um, they're going to be better than the Royals. They'll be better than the the Guardians. And they'll be better than the Twins, I think. So a Tigers team coming off a year at 77 and 85. And the big news that they've made this offseason was Javier Baez getting a six-year contract with the team uh, worth north of $140 million. So Baez to Detroit. Uh, Barrett, how do you feel about that signing? Uh, I think they gave him a little bit, a little bit too long of a deal. But I like the signing for Detroit. They didn't really have a guy who's wicked flashy and exciting to go watch all the time. And I think Baez is a big ticket sales guy. He's a fan favorite. Great defender. Could probably hit 30 home runs this upcoming season. Uh, And I like what Detroit's done with adding Baez. I think that really helps their infield as a whole. And they also went and got Eduardo Rodriguez. And I think that was a really good signing for them. Five years, 77 million over the five. And I think he's going to be a staple in their starting rotation for years to come. And I, I agree with you. I think Detroit is a sleeper to make a run this season. And Casey Mize, I think, is the guy that didn't get as much attention as he deserved this year because Detroit started limiting his innings right down the stretch. They didn't really allow him to throw a ton of pitches. His last five starts, the most innings he threw was four. It was because they tried to save him, which I guess makes sense a little bit because you're not competing for anything. So might as well save the young guy's arm. But at the same time, you don't want him to lose that ability to go late into ball games. But Casey Mize, 79 last year, a 3.71 ERA, 118 strikeouts um, in 150 innings. But I think Casey Mize is somebody who will make a big leap next year for that team and possibly be an all-star. Yeah, I think Mize is a stud too. So when you pair him and Rodriguez and they still have turn ball, I think they could have a solid rotation and a solid offensive team. And I, I agree. I think they're the second best team in that division and they could compete for a wild card spot. So the Tigers, Baez, Rodriguez, we'll see if that's all they do. They were in on the Correa news a little bit. Uh, and talking about Carlos Correa, his former team, the Astros, are up next on our 
list of teams to go through this offseason. If you're just joining us, Austin Nakuda and Barrett Hodgson here on the Long Relief Podcast going through all the American League free agent signings or most of the notable ones here. Uh, so Justin Verlander, Barrett with the Astros, a guy who was re-signed, didn't pitch last year due to Tommy John surgery, a two-year deal. Uh, I'm not a fan of this contract at all. I don't understand how you can give Verlander two years. I know he's a generational talent, okay, and I know how good he's been, but two years, $50 million for Verlander, who's now age 38, coming off Tommy John surgery, I, I think the Astros could live to regret that contract. Yeah, I think I think Verlander shouldn't have got a one-year deal. I agree. He hasn't pitched in two years, coming off Tommy John. I mean, I get it. I, it doesn't look like they're going to bring back Zach Granke, so I think that's kind of how they're going to replace him. But I think they spent way too much money on Verlander, and they lost a lot of bullpen pieces like Graveman, Yimi Garcia, Brooks Raley. I think that money could have went elsewhere. And the only real thing they've done to fix the bullpen was sign Hector Neris from the Phillies, a two-year deal um, with an opt-out in 2024 for the team. And Neris coming off a year, he was four and seven at 3.63 ERA, 98 strikeouts. He is the all-time Phillies uh, strikeout reliever. So he has the most strikeouts by a reliever at all time in Phillies history. Um, a guy who had a lot of success there. I'll, I'll miss him, but he's not a closer. He can't close games. I don't think they're going to ask him to, but he should be a solid middle of the bullpen type of guy. It's just two years. And I think he got about 10 or 11 a year or a little less than that, but it does seem like a lot for Hector Neris. Yeah, and I don't think Naris can replace those three guys. I don't think he can even replace Graveman. So I like the signing. I think it helps their bullpen with where they're at, but I think it's going to be definitely going to need another guy out there with losing those three guys. Like Rayleigh was a, a lefty specialist, and he went to Tampa Bay. And we'll talk about that a little later on. But I think their bullpen might struggle this year losing those three guys. They may have to replace Carlos Correa, too. Still no news on where he's going to go, as he did not sign before the lockout, Barrett. Any prediction on where Correa may sign? I'm not really sure. He's been linked to so many teams. Um, I still think the Yankees could be in on him, but that's kind of how they roll around on everybody. I think they could be a fit, but I don't see him going back to Houston, so I'm going to say anywhere but there. Well, see, the thing is, is it seems like based on the headlines and news articles, he's going to go wherever the money is best. Um, he There was rumors he declined a $290 million deal. And in my opinion, he's a better all-around player than Corey Seager, who we'll talk about in a little bit. And Seager got, what, $330 million? So if yeah, you're Correa, you should not be signing for less than $340 million. He, he probably should be getting more than Seager. So if you're Correa, whoever ends up being the highest bidder is probably where you're going to end up. Yeah, and he's already a World Series champion, so he just he probably just wants chasing the chasing the check right now. I mean, I don't I don't mind him going somewhere else and chasing the money because he's been so good. And like you said, Seager got paid a lot, so I think Correa should get paid a lot more than Seager. Yeah, I, I think so. And that Seager contract we'll talk about in just a minute. But before we get there, uh, the Kansas City Royals are up next on the list of teams that are in our directory here, and. Uh, well, Barrett, there's not much news with Kansas City. The only real news is that Wade Davis retired, so congratulations to Wade. Yeah, there, there's not much going on in Kansas City, that's for sure. That's uh, it. The only it's sign they made is, is Taylor Clark. So, Yeah, and I'm not sure anyone, any, any of our listeners may not know who Taylor Clark is. No slight to him, but 
not a uh, household name quite yet. We'll see if that develops into something different this year as he looks to replace Wade Davis. Uh, that's all for the Royals, so we'll move on to the Angels. And the Angels are a team that has had a relatively busy offseason based on their standards. They re-signed Rossiel Iglesias to a four-year contract, a deal that they basically had to make. They needed somebody in that back end of the bullpen. Uh, they have to give Iglesias four years, $58 million. He struggled in Cincinnati to really find his form as a lockdown closer, but since he's been with the Angels, he had a really good year. Yeah, and I don't, I don't mind them bringing back Iglesias. They need every team needs a guy that they can trust, and they clearly trust Iglesias. So, I like him going back to the Angels. Um, I think they need more bullpen help as well, and they signed Aaron Loop to try and help him with that. But I still think they're going to need more pieces going forward. But it's good to have a guy that you can trust in the back end. Yeah, so with Loop, with the Iglesias, they should have a better bullpen than last year, but not a complete one yet. They also added Michael Lorenzen on a one-year $7 million deal. Uh, Lorenzen spent his first seven season with the Cincinnati Reds, um, but not somebody who really had a, a long stretch of success, I guess you could say. I mean, he's coming off of a year where he had a five-and-a-half ERA out of the bullpen. Um, he was four for four in save chances, but – I don't know. He's somebody that really, I mean, I understand the one year part of the deal to try to take a flyer on him, but is he really worth 7 million or is there a better option they could have gone with? I don't think he's worth $7 million. What do you think he's going to do? Do you think he's going to start there? Or do you think he's going to release? Well, they bring in Cindergaard to add to the rotation as well, which we talked about, I think before the lockout. Um, but I think it depends on the rest of the rotation, right? I mean, if they go out and get anybody else is Lorenzen could be forced into the rotation, uh, if not, he could be set up for a seventh inning role. If they're going to just go with Loop and Iglesias and that's it, it could be Lorenzen for the seventh, Loop for the eighth, Iglesias for the ninth, depending on matchups. But I don't know. I think it really depends on what other moves they make because besides Cindergard and that rotation, you're going to have Cindergard, Otani, probably another year of Griff Canning, right? I mean, he's been pretty brutal. Yeah, probably. And I don't really know what else they're going to do. They have some decisions to make. Jamie Berea started some games for him last year. Wasn't overly impressive at all by any means. And then otherwise, it's really, I mean, Patrick Sandoval was okay. Didn't pitch a ton of innings. Jose Suarez will probably be in the rotation again. He's okay to eat up innings, but there's no real lockdown one through three pitcher, depending on what Syndergaard does. They they have a massive need for starting pitchers still. Yeah, and I mean, the runs in seven mil, that's more than Rich Hill. That's right where Michael Locke is at. So I think they're probably going to look for him to start, and they're going to need a lot of innings out of Syndergaard. So they took a big gamble as him being their guy that they go and get to log innings. But, now, would you would you have rather signed Syndergaard to the one-year 20, which the Angels did, or Verlander to the two-year 50 like Houston? Uh, oof, that's tough. I think Verlander probably stays healthy all season. Um, the better contract is definitely Syndergaard, but it's two different teams in two different spots. Like, let's say Syndergaard pitches like the old Syndergaard and he's really good then this is a really good deal they could trade him for a lot of pieces at the deadline they could extend them because they gave him the chance to revive his career you know what I mean right but the Verlander thing I think they wanted like a lot of guys come back from Tommy John they don't have a ton of injury problems so it's just going to depend if he pitches well I think Verlander will definitely be able to log innings but if I'm in the Angels situation I think I definitely like the Syndergaard contract more 
Yeah, I mean, it, it really depends, too, on which guy stays healthy. That second year of the Verlander deal might be killer, though, because if he comes out and has a, a poor year, right, you know, pitches to a four-and-a-half yeah. ERA, has a couple stints on the injured list, they can't trade him. Nobody's going to take on that contract. You're going to have to hope that Detroit wants a reunion, you can eat some money, or that Kansas City will just take on the contract. You know what I mean? He's not going to be moving. Yeah. Even if Syndergaard struggles, you can probably move him at the deadline either way. It just depends on how much your return is going to be. Yeah, and if he doesn't struggle, good for them. It's a they they signed a good free agent and they can extend. Like if I'm a guy in the MLB and I was trying to revive my career and a team gave me a chance, I'd personally want to be loyal to that team. So I don't know if Syndergaard has that same sort of mindset, but I think this is kind of low risk for the Angels with just the one year deal. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what Cindergard ends up doing and what the Angels do this year to finally try to get Mike Trout back to the postseason. So we'll keep you updated on all the Angels news as well as all the other teams here on the Long Release Podcast. But the next team to talk about is a team who had a disappointing season. The Minnesota Twins finished fifth in the AL Central, a team that within the organization was expecting to be much better than they were. They struggled. They traded Nelson Cruz at the deadline, and they're kind of having to make decisions now if they blow it up or if they kind of try to add some talent. But we'll see what they do. They haven't done a whole lot this season. Yeah, all they've done is add Dylan Bundy, and I don't really think he's a a huge difference maker for Minnesota personally. Um, I think Minnesota's just in a tough spot. I think they're at best a 500 team. Like you said, they traded Nelson Cruz. They thought they were going to be a lot better. They they liked the return they got, but it's just I, – I don't really like Minnesota's construction of their roster. I no. think they overpaid on Donaldson, and they're banking on Maeda being a stud every year. And I just I just don't think Minnesota's at that spot. But I do think they have a guy in Jorge Polanco that they can build around. He had a really solid year last year, and they have some different, decent outfield prospects. So – Maybe not this year, but a few years down the road, I could see Minnesota being a lot better. And the best thing that they've done in the last few years, including this year, is the extension they gave to Byron Buxton. I'm a huge fan of this extension. Seven years, $100 million, an average payout per year of $14.2 million. Uh, a good deal because if he reaches that potential, if he finally stays healthy, then that's an absolute steal for an MVP type of player. He hit 306 last year in 59 games hit 19 home runs in addition to stealing nine bases as well. So somebody who, if he stays healthy, you're looking at 35 home runs, 25 stolen bases, if not more. Yeah, I thought that was a great extension for a guy, like you said, who could win MVP. He's a really talented player. Just his his issue has been with his health. So I think even though it's a long contract, it's not a bad contract. And they have guys to build around. I, I said Jorge Polanco because he's always been healthy, but – Let's say Buxton has a few puts together a few healthy seasons in a row. They could have something working there. Yeah, that's a solid top two in the lineup. You know, you bat Buxton lead off and Polanco second, and you're in. You're going to start a lot of games with somebody on base for your three four hitter. Yeah, and Alex Kirilov could be that three four hitter. We could see him develop. We'll see. I like him a lot too. He's a good RBI guy. They're going to hope you can get that average up a little bit though. He was sitting around just under two fifty last season, so we'll see how much success they have. Uh, trying to get Kirloff healthy again because he had wrist surgery too to end his season prematurely. But for the Twins, they are kind of stuck in mediocrity and we'll have to see if they can make that leap 
another team too that's been stuck kind of in the middle um i guess upper middle is the new york yankees our last world championship coming in 2009 and barrett they've struggled to put the pieces together to get back to that success that yankee fans are used to yeah and they haven't done anything either um i expect them to make a, i expect them to make a splash when when the lockout ends i think they're gonna go try to get a guy like kershaw correa or something because all they've done really is re-signed Jolie Rodriguez on a cheap contract, which I don't mind. He's decent for him, but I like, like you said, they've been in mediocrity, and they're the Yankees, one of the highest payrolls in the league. They should be a lot better than what they were last year. Well, that's why I think they're going to make a splash too. I agree with you because they're a team that's used to winning, and they haven't won in so long that at some point somebody in that front office or ownership is going to say, okay, enough's enough. And they're going to go and give Carlos Correa the 360 million that he wants. You know what I mean? And they're going to go add a yeah. Kershaw, like you said. And I think it's only a matter of time, whether it's Correa or whether they go get Trevor story and save some money to go add two pitchers or whatever it might be. But they're a team who has to, they have to basically make the world series in the next couple of years or Yankees fans might lose their mind. Yeah, and I agree with that 100%. And, and, you know, they have all sorts of excuses, injuries and stuff. But when it comes down to it, and they got to the wild card, they faced Boston, and they put their best guy on the mound, and they didn't win. So they got to go make a big move, I think. Like like I said, Correa, he fits there, and they need shortstop play. They can't run Glaber Torres as shortstop again. I mean, he, he was a defensive nightmare there. So I think they need to make a big move and – I agree the Yankees fans are going to lose it if they don't win soon. Well, they're going to have to go over the luxury tax to do so because they're paying Kermit the Frog $40 million a year to not play well <laughs> on the national stage. So, yeah, we're going to have yeah. to figure something out there. But I'm sure they'll make a splash. We'll talk about it when they do. I don't think it's if they do. It's when they do at this point because they're the New York Yankees and that's what they do. But they could be losing Aaron Judge next offseason, so that's something to keep an eye out long term is if they judge to an extension, which is definitely a possibility in this offseason. But moving on to the next team is the Oakland Athletics, a team who has made a uh, career out of quiet offseasons. They don't typically do much, but they turn what is already in their organization into 250 hitters with 30 home runs that they end up trading for two prospects. So I'm sure somebody will step up. A team who finished 86 and 76 last year, good for third in the American League West, and a team who I'm sure will compete again. But the biggest loss, though, is Bob Melvin for them, who is now the manager of the San Diego Padres. I think Melvin may have gotten sick of the, you know, not spending money, not having the talent that other teams have. He goes to San Diego, and the A's haven't really replaced any of the other guys they've lost, like Starling Marte, amongst others. So we'll kind of see where Oakland goes from here. Yeah, they have. They've literally haven't made a signing all offseason. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. I think they might trade some guys I could see I, I know they want to shed salary and they don't want to pay sit and Montes and stuff so you could see some starters going on the move I hated the Starling Marte trade form it didn't make sense to me for half a season of Starling Marte and they didn't even make the playoffs I don't like that they didn't resign Mark Connor that guy he's always on base so I don't know it'll be interesting to see if Oakland can still compete playing with the the amount of money they want to spend but they haven't done anything yet, so we'll see what happens when the lockout ends for Oakland. I wouldn't have minded the Marte signing, but they gave up Jesus Lazardo, who has yeah, that's why be a, a staple in the rotation. I think the, the the trade itself would make sense, right? If you're going to add a 
uh, everyday star center fielder, but to not re-sign him and to give up Lazardo for that is is could be crippling for them. They need that. Yeah, yeah, and like I said, if they're moving guys like Bassett or Montes or Manea, like you want a guy on Lazardo who's on a rookie deal, who's cheap money, and then you're hoping AJ Puck can turn out to be something, but. I don't know. It, it, the trade just didn't make sense to me. They went in and traded for Jan Gomes, too, and he left in the offseason. And I just think it, there's been some questionable decisions in the past year for the A's. Yeah, so Oakland will, I'm sure, piece together some stuff after the lockout ends. But for now, they've been quiet. Uh, as, well, I guess a lot different than the next team on the list, which is the Seattle Mariners. They've been having themselves a pretty successful offseason after making a late run to make the playoffs, but falling just short at 90-72, second in the American League West. They made some headlines by signing Robbie Ray to a five-year contract after he won the American League Cy Young Award. He'll get paid a hefty $115 million to go pitch in Seattle. Uh, Barrett, do you like the Robbie Ray signing for the Mariners? It's a little little pricey, but I, I do like it. I think if you're a team that wants to compete, and they have a ton of young guys, so it's not like they're spending a ton of money for all these bats that they have. So I don't mind the signing. I think he's going to be a staple in the rotation. And I, I think the biggest thing for the Mariners is, is trying to replace Kyle Seeger and that veteran leadership. He retired. Congrats on his great career. Uh, but I think maybe Ray could come in and he was just on a team of young guys in the Blue Jays. And maybe he can come in and he can be a leader on this team and lead the staff to make a postseason run. And this team is on the verge, I think, of, I wouldn't call it a dynasty, but building a team that can last for five They could be years. really good. Because they they're be going to really have Hellenic, they're going to have Luis Rodriguez in that outfield. And I think that one or two young pitchers combined with that, I mean, they have Emerson Hancock in the wings. Um, Justin Dunn. Logan Gilbert. Gilbert's the other one. They could be a team who yeah. is in the playoffs consistently for the next five to seven years. And now Ray is that veteran ace i mean veteran ace he's still only 30 which is you know some of the guys who get contracts at age 33 only have two good years left in him but this is a guy in robbie ray who could very well pitch those five years and be good for all five of those years too yeah and he's going to be a stud for him you pair that with gilbert and like you said hancock's supposed to be really good and i mean we haven't even seen rodriguez play yeah that guy's going to be a stud he's only 21 with the ball a mile yeah, and they have a good young shortstop in J.P. Crawford that I like, a good defensive oh. player. And they made a good trade this offseason and brought in Adam Frazier. I think that's the perfect fit for that team, too, because now you have a guy who can hit in the one or two spot, and he's going to hit 300. And he, he doesn't just hit base hits. He had 36 doubles last year. The guy hits the ball well, too. I mean, he had an OPS just under 800. Uh, somebody who gets on base and can set the table for that lineup, because if you're going to have – I mean, maybe Kyle Lewis bats leadoff, right? I mean, he could be a guy in that spot again. Frazier behind him, and then you bring up Kalenic, maybe Rodriguez. Um, you still have some other solid role players, too. Ty France has been pretty decent for them. Hit 291 last year. I could see him in the five hole. They're looking at a very complete lineup all around. Yeah, and they're deep, too. They have depth. Like you said, Ty France, Dylan Moore, guys like that. Um, the only thing that they really lack is first baseman. Mm. And you can st- you can win without having a stud first baseman if the rest of your lineup is studs, as long as the guy can defend. So I like I really like what the Mariners have been doing. 
I do wish Kyle Seager came back because it would have been good to see him make the playoffs. And let's say he went out and made the playoffs, led this young team there. But I really like the Mariners' construction. And like you said, they they could be a staple in the playoffs. And I think they're not done. I think they're going to add one more big-name player. And my prediction is Chris Bryant. I think they're going to add Chris Bryant to that team, ask him to play third base. And I think that would make a big difference too because I think that would be a good fit for him as well. Yeah, that oh, that would be something, huh? <laughs> that would that then that team would be really scary. Yeah, I mean they've done it with, before with, with big names. They signed Cruz to that uh, Cruz to a decent deal and Cano to a massive contract. So I don't think they'd shy away from spending some money to try to win here. Yeah, he'd be a good fit too with that lineup. I agree. We'll see what Seattle does the rest of the way. Definitely one of the most exciting teams in baseball, and another team following them up in the list of American League teams that. It's been exciting the last couple of years, whether you like the way that they do business or not, is the Tampa Bay Rays uh, winning the American League East last year at 162, but losing to the Boston Red Sox in the playoffs. So the Rays looking to retool their team a bit. They've signed Corey Kluber to a one-year deal. They avoided G-Man Choi's arbitration by signing him. That's a staple of that team. Uh, Brooks Raley has been brought in. And then the big news, I think, for them was the extension of Wander Franco already. After his rookie season, he's just 20 years old. They gave him 11 years, $182 million, a couple of options built in there and some elevators to make him some more money. But that is massive news for the Rays and the game of baseball because they finally put money into one of their homegrown guys. Yeah, and Wander Franco is a stud, and he's going to be just a guy in that lineup for years to come that's tormenting the AL East. As a Red Sox fan, he's a scary bat to face. And I think him and Ro- Rosa Reina are going to be a really good one-two punch for them in their lineup. And like you said, they signed Kluber. They're good at reinventing pitchers' careers. I think Kluber could be a good fit there. Uh, G-Man Choi, he's kind of a, a really good locker room guy on that team. And he's a good, good player overall, in my opinion. So, I like what they've done so far, and I like the Brooks Raley signing for him, a lefty specialist, two-year deal, five mil a year. So I really like what they've done so far this offseason. I don't think they're finished yet. The only thing I didn't like is them getting rid of Joey Wendell because I think he fit his role really well, but mm-hmm. I'm sure they'll find a guy that can replace him. Yeah, they'll have to figure something out. And, I mean, it just seems like they continue to add and, and turn out those type of players like Wendell, like a Brett Phillips. You know, they've revived Austin Meadows a bit. Um, so this team, I'm sure, will compete again and will be a thorn in the Red Sox side once again uh, in the American League East. And then the team up next has made probably the most headlines this offseason with the trio of signings they made before the lockout. And the big one, uh, Corey Seager, gets a 10-year deal worth, Barrett, $330 million or $325 million. I think there's an option somewhere that can elevate it to 330 but it is 10 years, $325 million for Corey Seager. Uh, just a massive contract for a guy who, yes, when he's good, he's MVP caliber, but has had some struggles and had some health issues. What a big deal, though, to give to Corey Seager. Yeah, it's a, it's a massive deal. And the crazy part is I don't like the contract, but I like the player. And I like, I like the pairing him and Semyon in that lineup. I think Texas needs to get back to being good at baseball. I like, I'll always like when the Rangers are good and I like them signing John Gray to a big strikeout guy, but with Seager, I think if he stays healthy, he is a guy that you can build around. They gave him a ton of money, but he could be a guy that hits 300 with 30 home runs and plays a great defensive shortstop for them. 
So it just really depends on the health. I mean, 10 years is a long time. That's going to bring him into his age 37 season. Might be a little too long, but it could be a really good fit for them for the first five to seven years of that contract. And they have Adolis Garcia coming off of a year in which he hit 243, 31 homers. So even if he's kind of a flash in the pan and hits 220 next year, he's probably still going to hit 35 home runs, which has some value in today's MLB. Um, Isaiah Kinfalefa, where does he fit in all this? Because he hit 271, eight homers last year and has been really um, solid defensively. I know he's a guy who a lot of people love defensively. Where does he kind of fit in in this equation? I could see him playing third base for him, uh, personally. Uh, he was also a former catcher. So I did, see, I did see a report that he could do some catching in the, the preseason and spring training and see if he can go back to being a catcher, which I think personally that would be really cool to see a guy go from playing a possible gold glove shortstop caliber to becoming a catcher again. But I think Kenneth Falefa will be in that lineup because – he has a good bat, 270. You need an on-base guy like that. And uh, I think he could either play third or possibly go back to catcher. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see which one of these young guys steps up for the Rangers. You had Nick Solak, who has underwhelmed a little bit, but has some potential. Uh, you had Shirton Apostle, who's in the wings as a first baseman, a big six foot four, 235-pound first baseman who's 22 years old in the minors. Um, you had a little bit. We saw some stuff from Spencer Howard once or twice after they got him for the Phillies, but he was pretty brutal overall. And then are you going to get a lot from Willie Calhoun in left or Leody Tavares? I mean, one of these guys might have a chance to step up, but until they do, it's an incomplete roster, I think, for Texas. Yeah, I agree. But Seager and Semyon, I mean, Semyon had an awesome year last year. He's been in the MVP conversation two of the last three years. So let's say Seager puts it all together and Semyon has really a really good year. The offense could be really good, and I agree they still they need a lot of help pitching wise, but the offense could be could carry this team. Yeah, and you know for this Texas team, they're in a division where the Angels are looking to compete, the Astros are looking to compete, the Mariners are looking to compete, the A's are kind of in the middle. So it might be the it could very well be the best division in baseball next year. Yeah, I agree. And they also brought in a, a good defensive outfielder and Cole Calhoun, too. We haven't even talked about him yet. And I, I like all their signings. I think the Seager contract's really big, but I think the Rangers want to get back to being competitive, and this division's going to be really tough to win in. Yeah, I'm excited to see what that division brings to the table. And another division who was the most competitive in baseball this year was the American League East, and that's where our final team of this episode comes from. It's the Toronto Blue Jays, who Yes, they lose Robbie Ray, but they go out and they get Kevin Gosman to a five-year deal, uh, which is going to pay Gosman similar to the Ray deal, um, but they're going to give him $110 million instead of $115. Is Gosman better than Robbie Ray? Not in this division. Yeah, I don't know if I like the signing. I mean, it doesn't make sense, does it? Why are you – you have Barrios as your right-hander in the rotation. You have Hinjin Ryu. I would have liked to keep – Ray as that left-handed ace because you're going to face a Yankee team with a good deal of lefties the way they construct their teams. Boston's obviously got Rafi Devers to contend with and Tampa, a very lefty heavy lineup too. I don't, I would have rather kept Robbie Ray and given him the money. We've seen Gosman in the American league. East. He pitched on Baltimore and he was not good there. No, <laughs> He was not impressive there. Um, 
I think it's good for Gosman. He got his money, and I don't think he's going to be awful. I think he's going to be a good pitcher, but I don't think he's going to have as much as much success as Robbie Ray did this season. I mean, like you said, just the lefty-righty aspect of it. I think Ray fits better in that rotation. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting team. They're definitely a team that's still going to compete and probably improve on where they were from last year. I mean, obviously having a year in which Boba Shett, Vlad Guerrero, another year older, and I think that means for them a little bit better as those two seem to be studs in that lineup. I mean, you have Toscar Hernandez, Lourdes Gurriel, uh, George Springer, of course, in center field. Kevin Biggio struggled, but he could bounce back. Um, They do lose Simeon, so that's going to be a big loss for this team. But I think with the pieces that are so young and talented and are going to continue to progress in a positive direction, they should pick up right where they left off. Yeah, the offense is going to be great still. I mean, Semyon, don't get me wrong, he had an amazing season. But with all those guys you just named, they'll be fine scoring runs. I'm worried about the rotation because not only did they lose Ray, but they also lost Steven Matz, right. another lefty. And, I mean, I mean, they got Gosman, but I think they need a lefty arm to replace these guys. I'd say so. I mean, they're going to hope Nate Pearson steps up, but he's a right-hander. So you're still – I mean, Alex Manoa had okay – actually decent success, I'd say, Manoa. But then you you have a rotation now. If you go Manoa, Pearson, Gosman, Ryu, Berrios, I mean, you have four left, uh, four righties, one lefty. Mm-hmm. I so, really like Alex Manoa, too. I think he I, – I, I might have a little personal bias because I have him on my fantasy team, but <laughs> I like Manoa. I like the way he pitched. I, I like the uh, – he had some, like, fire behind him. So yeah. I think he's a guy you can rally behind. But I just don't like losing Ray and Matt in the same offseason. I thought they should have brought back at least one of those lefties to kind of even out the rotation. Yeah, they'll have some work to do for sure. But that wraps up all the free agency news here for the American League on the Long Relief Podcast. Barrett, any final thoughts before we wrap up this episode? Uh, not really. Hopefully the lockout can end soon. We can see all these great players continue to get signed. and. Uh, we'll keep you updated if there's any news, that's for sure. And we're hoping to uh, get back into some baseball. Yeah, that's that should be it. I mean, let's hope the lockout ends soon. Congratulations to Wade Davis, Joaquin Soria, and Kyle Seeger on their retirement, three legends of the game. Uh, so we'll definitely miss those three. But for now, that'll wrap it up here on this episode of the Long Relief Podcast. For Barrett Hodgson, I'm Austin Dakuda. Thank you for watching, and don't forget to subscribe.